gather around the lamp and Aston Villa podcast. If at first you don't succeed, come back next year and try again. Aston Villa celebrates the pleasure of promotion to the Premier League. Well, as soon as Jack Grealish was made captain, the script was written. Him lifting the Championship trophy, getting his boyhood club to the Premier League. He will always be Aston Villa's Jack Grealish. Hello and welcome back to episode 46 of the Gather Around the Lamp podcast. Today we're going to dive into some of the news and tidbits from the past week when it comes to Villa and world football in general. Uh, obviously we've got lots of things to discuss. Um, as usual, I'm joined by Mark, but before I let Mark introduce himself, I'm just going to discuss a little bit about volume 2 of the Under a Gaslit Lamp magazine. Um so obviously for anyone that has ordered this, uh, the whole COVID-19 situation has in fact delayed the magazine. Uh, with with the season currently on, on standby and potentially being restarted soon, we always aimed for an end of the season published date, just so our content didn't uh, become outdated. So with Project Restart underway, we will not be printing and sending these magazines until the season is completed. If the season gets postponed, then within a month of the season being uh, voided, then then we will be sending and printing the magazines. Um, they are still for sale, uh, still for up for pre-order uh, over on our website, in our store, and they are £4.50 plus postage and packaging. Uh, and if, if you ask anyone that had Volume 1, I'm sure they will vouch that the, the content is worth it and you know it supports us. Uh, but enough about the magazine. Mark, you don't need an introduction, but introduce yourself. <laughs> What's going on, everybody? It is Mark Jarobi here. Uh, really glad to be back on the pod. Took a took a little bit of time off. Things were getting a little dicey in the world, not too much with football. But this past week has afforded us with a lot of things to talk about. So we're going to jump into that. Everything from podcasts from some of our friends and new contracts and the Bundesliga and everything. So, you know, sit down, you know, put give give the kids an iPad or something, sit down and have a listen. Absolutely. Um, so yeah, you, you mentioned you know our friends over at the Athletic and the Birmingham Mail, and they've been they've been absolutely killing it uh, with in regards to that their content during lockdown. You know they've been interviewing ex Aston Villa players from you know ten years ago, twenty years ago, and even as close as a few years ago. Um, and as of late, you know the Athletic, headed up by uh, Dan Bardell and Greg Evans in that in their uh, in their podcast. They've had an incredible interview with former Villa skipper Tommy Elphick. It's a really strong listen, and it it shows the extremes of the disarray the club found itself in once we were relegated. Uh, in the interview, Elphick made note that players were heavily separated in the dressing room, uh, foreign players palling around, new signings having to band together, and the remainder of the squad from the Premier League relegation. Um, and... As well as this, there was there was like things about players turning up to training drunk and things like that. You know, does this surprise you at all, Mark? Um, it doesn't surprise me to hear how, how much of, of a disarray it actually was. It, it did hear me. Uh, it, it surprised me. However, I don't want to ruin the podcast for for anybody, but there definitely are um like little moments whenever like 
for lack of a better term, holy shit, I can't believe that was actually going down behind the scenes. And we all knew it was a tumult, you know, a really tumultuous time. We all knew that it was something that, you know, okay, well, let's just see, there's going to be a couple, you know, transitional years, but talking about Elphick coming in and, you know, he didn't really know where he stood and it was tough for him. He had veterans of the game that were still there when he came in that, you know, maybe didn't have control of the dressing room, but they were, you know, someone to look up to. So it, it's a fascinating listen, man. Like I, I've got to give it to the boys over at the athletic, you know, with, uh, with Danny Bardell and Greg. They, they did a hell of a job on this thing, and it really kind of pulled back the curtain for for a big big couple of transitional seasons for Aston Villa. Yeah, I mean, Alfie also mentioned that a, a meeting with Steve Bruce went rather well about him having more playing time and then pushing for promotion. And then, you know, literally as soon as he's walked out of Bruce's office or, or out of, you know, wherever they were speaking, that Mick McCarthy was managing Ipswich at the time had called Alfie to ask if he'd be interested in, uh, in joining them on loan and said that Bruce said he could, he could leave. Um, so yeah, it was it was bound to be you know a tough time for Elvik, and he he was always a, a good servant for the club. But you know, put yourself in Elvik's shoes, um, you know the, the the days of Mila Yednak starting at centre back over him. How would you have reacted to that situation? Would you have tried to have you know moved for, moved on from the club, or would you have stayed for as long as Elvik did? I mean, I have the utmost respect for Tommy Elphick for sticking it out and seeing players that aren't natural in a position that he plays. Uh, consummate professional Elphick is, and, and this just goes to show how much he actually did care to try and stick around and, you know, be there for the club whenever the club called upon him. Um, I think I think this whole situation kind of pulls back how Steve Bruce is to where he's always looking for a deal, especially, you know, the financial constraints that he was under being in the championship. And then, you know, with Villa not being able to have as much money as we all thought we did at the time. But I mean, if you're putting me into those shoes, just me personally, I'm out the door as soon. If I, if I go talk to a manager and he tells me, Hey, I want you here. And I don't know when I'm going to call your number, but I need you on the ready whenever I'm going to call your number. And then, you know, I go have lunch and then I'm sitting in my car and I get a call from, you know, the manager of Ipswich asking me if I, if I'm ready to join or if what what do I think about it? I'm out the door. I'm leaving. I just think that's just a, a disrespectful thing to do to any athlete, especially one you know like Tommy Elphick, because we didn't hear Tommy Elphick in the news. He wasn't being a problem. We didn't hear of any bust ups or anything like that. He just always seemed like he was a really down to earth person and, and and a really talented player. I mean, he did. We all remember him being bloodied on the pitch. You know what I mean? When he goes up for that header and, and he, he's bleeding, and then the whole bandage around his head. You know that that that's a sign of a warrior. That's a sign of somebody who wants to go out there and you know give his all for the club I, I i just think that you know for me personally i think you know steve bruce would have thought have been the last time i would have talked to steve bruce what, what about you you think you would have reacted any different um no i'm not sure i i, I would have probably been out the door as well but yeah you, you know you mentioned his his uh his head split wasn't that on his debut i believe it was on his debut yes yeah, what, what a way to introduce yourself to your, your new club's fans. Uh, obviously, there are a lot more stories, laughs and interesting facts in the podcast itself, and we don't want to ruin too much of it for you. So go out and check the Athletics uh, Villa podcast entitled 1874. On a bit of more of a controversial topic, the Bundesliga returned this past weekend to split opinion. The German league's the first major football league that has returned, with no disrespect to the Bulgarian league. Um the games were played behind closed doors with no supporters in the stands. Um, and, you know, that's caused a number of fans to obviously say that you know, football without fans is nothing at all. Um, some people have said that the games felt like a training match. You know, there were there were clips from the weekend of like Dortmund after they beat Schalke 4-0 going and uh, clapping where, where the famous yellow wall of, of Dortmund's... Uh, 
stadium would have been. Um, obviously, it was empty, and it was it was very weird, kind of eerie image images or imagery. You know, could you see this happening in the Premier League when they finally get their plan in place to return to action? I'm a little bit different on this topic than most people because I, I tend to see this as like more of a worldwide thing than just a football thing. Um, I can see the Premier League doing this exact same thing whenever they get back. And it's not to say that they will. This is all just my opinion. But I, I think that this is a really good look at what the Premier League could look like. And I think the probability of it is pretty high that this is what it will look like. Um, people have to start understanding that every other sports league in the world we're sitting down and watching Bundesliga this weekend and not for just the game. And even though it might've seemed like a dead game in a training session, all kind of different leagues from different sports wanted to know how they could get around with doing things as safe as possible. And they wanted to take notes and see how things went and see the pattern of play and all that kind of thing. You know, you had players that were social distance on the sidelines, you know, you had, there was nobody in the stands. There was nobody around. It was very eerie and it was very different. But I think with the current situation in the world, everything's a little weird and a little different. So for me, I didn't hate it. I didn't. I, I watched it. I got up early. You know, the game started being on over here at 930 in the morning. I was up at 7 a.m. I made breakfast, cracked a beer, watched the game, enjoyed myself. I mean, it, it's football. I'm going to watch it anyway. Any competition. I, I even said on Twitter, if it, if it was, you know, no holds barred water polo, I was going to get up and watch this game. <laughs> See, I, I I watched probably the first fifteen twenty minutes of of the Dortmund game, and I I just couldn't find myself getting into it. I felt like you know the lack of atmosphere really kind of put me off it. You know, it'd be different for Villa because I have a vested interest in that team, but you know, for, generally I will sit and watch any football game that's on. But for, I just couldn't get my head around the lack of atmosphere, and that that really kind of put me off the game. Yeah, and it's going to be different for everybody. You know, some people are just happy they have something to watch, and other people are going to be like, "This isn't right. This isn't just. This, you know, kind of kills the integrity of the game." And I'm, I'm right there with them on all those things. I just think that this is the kind of situation where it's going to take baby steps. You're not going to move mountains in a short period of time. You need incremental things that build up slowly but steadily into getting back to a quote unquote normal and what we're all used to. And it's not, it's not going to be a good time all the time. You know, there's going to be things where we're going to wish that we were able to do like go to games or, you know, I, I don't know. I don't know how this translates to England. They were saying in Germany with the Bundesliga returning, they didn't have a massive amounts of fans outside of these uh, venues, you know, trying to support their team in that way. I don't know if that would translate to England. I think England's a little bit different story when you have people that not only love football, but love the social interactions that football brings. And I think you would see, you know, mobs upon mobs of people outside of these stadiums. They want to be a part of that. They want to be a part of supporting their team in any which way they can show it. So I don't know how England is going to differentiate from Germany in that aspect, but I think it's definitely something to consider. Yeah, I, I remember you did a bit of research, for, a bit of personal research over the weekend in regards to uh, whether people missed, you know, the the football or the social interaction more. What what were the results of that? Uh, the results were astoundingly that they missed the atmosphere and being with their mates and beer. And I only gave two choices. It was either, you know, basically the question that I answered, you know, what do you miss most about a typical pre-COVID match day? And it was either, you know, the game and result itself of competition or the atmosphere 
uh, your mates and beer. And it was resounding. It was like 72 or 73% that missed the atmosphere and the other things. Um, and I think it was just over 221 people that voted on that poll I put up on my Twitter page. Um, regardless, like to me, that just says that people are missing just society as we knew it. And they miss what football brings. They don't miss the, the football purely. It's not like, hey, I just missed going to see Aston Villa get, you know, spanked by Manchester City, Wembley or not. <laughs> you know, that that's not what it's about for me. It's about the rituals I have with my family. It's about seeing my friends. It's about running in the old friends I haven't seen in a while. It's about sitting in the stands, getting a pint before the game, you know, talking to people at halftime about the game. You know, that's all the things people are missing because everybody's missing that. That's a human thing. You know, we're all humans and we have emotions ab- about this game. But I think it's more so right now. People aren't missing the Premier League as the Premier League. They're missing everything that comes with it as a social aspect. Do, do you think that, you know, English or British fans would would act up and act out uh, about the decision to, to play behind closed doors? Or do you think they'd be more understanding about the gravity of the situation? I'd be curious to how your take on that first, being an Englishman. <laughs> Knowing the, the, the general... British public, I, I could see there being a lot of backlash to it, if I'm honest. But, you know, I have been surprised both ways in, in this lockdown in terms of how people have acted and reacted. So I, I wouldn't want to tar, you know, English football supporters all with all with the same brush. Um, so I think... I think there would be some, some acting out, but I think it would be un, under control. Yeah, again, I think it's a society problem. I think you can get knuckleheads and window lickers at any any point, any country you're in. You're going to get people that go against the grain and they want to do it just because they want to do their things their own way. We're seeing that right now with social media. You know, you have everything from, you know, videos of people on beaches when they shouldn't be. And you have in different countries and all these things. And you're like, oh, my God, I can't believe that country's going that way. And you see the same thing from the country that person made that claim is from. So it's a lot of crazy things. But I think for me personally, from what I in the 13, almost 14, years i've been you know heavily invested in this game uh football in england i think that you're going to get a, a decent percentage of fans that are going to really do whatever they can to get as close to that game as possible and it, it you know it, how how crazy would it be if they're going to have football matches on but you still can't go to the pub you know what i mean how does how is that thing as a society how does that work with the english and you know it's no secret this this isn't meant as any disrespect but the english love their football and they love to drink that's how it goes that's just what it is so how does how does that you know come into play about safety player safety human safety you know all that all that thing you know comes into play it's going to be a very 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 small tight you know tightrope that you know they're going to have to walk you know you're going to have police presence around all these venues or all these stadiums I, I don't know, man. I'm I'm really glad I don't have to make the decision, but I, I can see I can definitely see it getting out of hand if if it comes to that point. Yeah, I completely agree. Uh, speaking of the Premier League returning, obviously training has resumed in small groups after the Premier League approved social distance training sessions. Most of uh, the essential players and staff have been tested for COVID nineteen, and of the seven hundred forty eight tested, six confirmed cases were uncovered. We now know that three people employed by Watford have contracted the virus, including Adrian Mariapa, along with Burnley assistant coach Ian Wone. And mere days before this news broke, Watford striker Troy Deeney expressed that he would not be joining up with his team for training sessions and surely not games anytime soon. Um, Deeney was quoted as saying, I just asked the simplest thing. I can't get a haircut until mid-July, but I can go and get in a box with 19 people and jump for a header. I don't know how that works. No one could answer the questions and not because they didn't want to, just because 
they don't know the information. I just said, if you don't know the information, why would I put myself at risk? And Deanie's obviously come out after that and and, and said that he has uh, a newborn son, I think, um, who has or has or has had breathing difficulties. So, you know, for me, Deanie's stance is is warranted and and incredibly justified. What do you think, Mark? I think it's incredibly justified. Even before we found out that, you know, there was, you know, the amount of people that or uh, tested positive for COVID-19, um, you, you can't, even as, as, as a massive footballing league, you can't start taking away the ability for human beings to, if they perceive danger and they don't want to be a part of something that they perceive as dangerous, that should be okay. There should be no questions asked. And and Troy Deeney's name is, has been, you know, pumped up from people, from people supporting him. And it's been taken to the low, you, you know, greedy and you make so much money. You're playing, you know, you're playing football. You're not this, you're not that. You're not working for the NHS. All these, you know, he's had some terrible things said about him, but he's had some great things said about him too with this stance. I think it's completely justified. I, I don't look at it from a footballer's point of view. I look at it from a person's point of view. And if you don't want to be put in the danger and you think this is a real danger to you and your family, especially a, a young, you know, I, a young child then you have all right to do that who who am i to tell him that, that he's one thing or he's another if he just thinks it's dangerous i mean more, more power to him he, he's he's very steadfast on this position and he's taking it very seriously he was absent from from their training as, as a couple other Wofford players were as well so i mean say what you want about troy Deeney, but he seems a man that's very secure in his convictions well yeah we've already discussed on previous podcasts a bit about Deeney, and, uh, and and we've said you know Although he's one of those players that seems to consistently pop up and and net against the Villa, that we respect him for for being you know the, the kind of man he is. He's 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 had his wrongs. He's he's done bad things in his life, but he's also turned it around. And and you you have to respect that. Um, and you know he's one of those people that knows when to when to give and when to take. Um, and I I I I like Troy Deeney as a footballer, regardless of his his blue nose affiliation and his uh, consistent scoring against us. Um, something I want to kind of press on is, um, you know, other people potentially joining Deeney and and refusing to train or play. I know that Villa have a player that has asthma and i'm not entirely sure if that was disclosed who it was but i've seen a few people saying that it was john mcginn uh and obviously that's that that's a vital player in aston villa's survival hopes now i don't want to necessarily you know spark some kind of anxiety about about john mcginn uh you know not being able to play or anything like that but you know that that's the only information that i've been able to find can, can you see an overwhelming amount of players uh joining Deeney and refusing or or do you think he'll be one of a, a, a kind of scarce few i think that it's it, it it's it's a little different for me because like i i know people personally in my life and my family that that have uh respiratory issues um you know, just from other underlying health uh, situations and whatnot. So, I, I, again, I think it's one of those things, if you make the personal stand against this and you don't want to, if, if you don't want to participate and, and you really feel like it's going to hurt you or hurt your family in any which way, I think that has to be respected. But I do think that as time moves on, I, I'm not sure the frequency in which they're testing the players and the staff. And let's be clear about it. There were a couple of people that say that said that the 748 seems like an incredibly low number. Um, you know, if you just do a simple math, it, it's, it's actually a little bit of a high number. So it's only essential players and staff. And like, you're not going to see these players hanging out um, on the, on the touch lines or hanging out, you know, behind in the, 
director's box or anything like that. Like it's it's literally going to be this is our players. These are the amount of staff we need. This is maybe uh, maybe a couple players just hanging out in the event of, of a of a warm up injury or something like that. But as time goes on and the more you test players, if more and more positive tests come up, I think players will take a stand to be like, I'm not putting myself in that situation if we're just going to keep getting positive and positive and positive. Like what happens if, you know, you have three or four players that come out, you know, 48 hours or less from a match day, you know, what stops the opposition players being like, I'm not going anywhere around those guys. I don't want to be anywhere around them. And then you get in the whole thing of how do you postpone games when you restart? Um, you know, are, are you going to be able to postpone them? Do you just tell the players, okay, sit out, we'll do the best we can with, you know, other players that we have with us. It, it's a, it's a completely insane equation to try and break down. But I don't think you can blame anyone for for sitting out. And I think you are going to see more players as time moves forward. Yeah, I, I have to agree with you there. And obviously Villa's returned to this this modified and social distance training this week as well. Um, Jack Grealish is sporting a beard. Courtney Hawes is looking a bit shaggy. As well from the pictures from uh, posted on official Villa to, Villa's official Twitter page. You know, it's strange times when training is an exciting thing in in the world of English football. Um, which other players have you seen with these kind of quarantine looks? Um, you know, is, is there any players from any any club that have given you a bit of a chuckle? Oh man, if you haven't seen Bobby Firmino and what he looks like right now, it's it's so laughable. And it's it's not me taking a dig at the guy. I I like watch Firmino play as much as the next person, but he literally looks like he has on one of them Samuel L. Jackson wigs. It, his hair is just the longest I've ever seen. It doesn't look like you're used to seeing Firmino. He's very suave and slick. It looks like his you know he gets his you know haircut maybe three times a week. It's always really impressive to see him with this kind of shaggy, almost like bowl cut hair is just hilarious. I mean, Nicola Conte looks pretty pretty laughable right now um is there any ones that you've seen that, that maybe you're like man these guys definitely look like they've been inside for the past two months well you got um you said Firmino Firmino looks like a young Ross Geller from Friends um but the um oh it's Sadio Mane's because obviously he he's sporting a kind of traditional hairstyle from I think is he Senegalese I think it's a traditional Senegalese hairstyle, but because it's all grown out, it just looks like he's really like, got like the worst hairline ever. Um, you know, his, his kind of hairline goes all the way back to his crown kind of thing. Um, something I did want to touch on is is perhaps this this uh, bearded Grealish is the next evolution of of Jack. You know, we've had we've had skinny Jack, we've had bulked up jack we've had hairband jack maybe now we've got beard jack uh, maybe old channel is in a dennis mortimer and and we'll see jack move on to a another level of sporting prowess at villa yeah for for as much as we're all talking about when football is gonna come back and all these kind of thing i i, I said in the last podcast and I'll, I'll say it again for anyone who may have missed it i think you're gonna see jack Grealish just come out of this come out of this and be so much hungry as a footballer and he, he's gonna want to show that he can he can keep Villa in the Premier League and prove that he deserves that that spot in the, in England. I really do. I I think that he comes back and just an absolute house on fire. I th- I really think he will. I I can't see him you know struggling once he's come back. It, he's very obviously been taking care of himself while he's been in lockdown. Um, so I do expect him to kind of hit the ground running. Now in other Villa news, Indiana Vasilev was awarded a two-year contract this past week. Um, and, you know, Villa fans were very happy with that. They'll be looking for more uh, in the future from, from the American forward. And Vasilev was called upon in January after having a bit of an injury crisis at Villa. You know, we had, had no Wesley. We had no 
we had no strikers basically uh, Mark wrote a bit of the contract extension and what it may mean for Villa moving forward with more promising young starlets waiting in the wings for playing time do you think this contract preparation is preparation for future life in the championship or do you think you know Vasilev's earned his contract through merit this season uh, for me personally, I think it's a little bit of both. Um, I I do think, and it, it, it might come off as, you know, just because I'm American and Indiana Vasilev's American, but I think just on a pure skill standpoint and where the two players are in their career, I think he's a good distance better than Jata is, or Hata, you know, whichever way you want to pronounce it. But I think he's better than him. Um, I think he's hungrier. And yes, he is younger. And we, we know the whole thing of Hata coming over from Birmingham City and everything. But but just on a purely, you know, watching Vasilev in the under-23s and now, you know, the stints that he had in January with, with the senior team at Villa, I just think that he he brings a, a drive and, a, and an unpredictability um, that, you don't really have seen out of many Aston Villa wingers. Uh, I just think that he has something there and it may be a preparation for life in the championship. I don't know what the plan is with that, but a two year deal tells me that they don't want to put him out on loan. So how does he fit into this first team squad? Can we see him starting to sub out, you know, an Anwar Al Ghazi later on in the games? Do we see him start to play in the cups a little bit more prominently? So I, I think it's, I think it was justified. I think they had to give him a contract to see what happens down the road. But at the same time, this might be a little bit of a preparation in the event that Villa do get relegated. What do you, what do you think about Vasilev? I mean, we talked about it when he was getting his playing time, you know, he has, he has a lot more to show, but I think that he he'll get better if he's afforded more playing time and he doesn't have to start every game, but I do think that with more playing time, he'll get a lot more confidence about him. Yeah, well, we've seen this season that he's definitely an option from the bench, and I think that'll continue going forward. Um, I do think he'll probably be afforded more game time in the Cups. Um, it's going to have to obviously be next season now. Uh, but, you know, Dean Smith's also spoken pretty highly of him. Um, but the, the thing the thing for me, I think, you know, Vasilev will have to make the most of this, this two-year contract, um, but not as much as you know, other players in his position in the past have had to, perhaps. Uh, the, the thing for me is is players like Andre Green and Callum O'Hare. You know, Callum O'Hare's impressed at Coventry this season, and Andre Green struggled at Preston, but then impressed in his uh, January loan to, to Charlton. Do you think they'll have uh, new contracts awarded soon, or do you think they're going to join the long list of, you know, youth talent that Villa have released? I'm not sure about either of these players, man. And the more I look up about things and, you know, just how, how Villa have chosen to do things, we, we when when the new owners came in, when Wesleyans and Sororis came in, there, were, there was a big emphasis from them about, you know, using the young players. And that probably comes through Wes Eden's experience with the Milwaukee Bucks to actually trust, you know, younger players to do things, get them involved. Um, they don't have to be world beaters, just make them present and make, make them able, you know, to know that they're, they're a part of this thing. You know, you lay it down brick by brick. And uh, with Andre Green, I'm not sure if he's going to get an extension. Uh, the times that he's gone out on loan, he's either gotten unfortunate injuries or when he has been afforded time, he hasn't performed well. Um, with Callum O'Hare, I think that Callum O'Hare is suffering from the fact that Jack Grealish is still at Aston Villa. Now, uh, what, however that conversation goes between the brass at Villa and Callum O'Hare, we know that O'Hare can play the game. Uh, he, he's had successful loan spells now. I, you know, Coventry fans absolutely adore him, and they've seen what what he's about. You know, this past season, well, this current season that, that's now postponed. They 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 know what he's about, and they know what he can bring to a team. Um, another player that's not being talked about as far as contracts with Aston Villa youngsters is Matthias Sarkic. I think he he definitely needs a contract. His contract actually actually um, 
it's it's done at the end of next month. It's done at the end of June. So they, they need to get him on board as well. So you have three players potentially the Villa could call upon, but they're all in very, very different situations. I mean, do you think any of these three player, players get contracts or do you think maybe it's time to move on and see what, what the next crop of youngsters have to have to show? So I really like Andre Green, but obviously there's always been issues with his end product. Um, Callum O'Hare, I think I think you're right in the fact that he's suffering from the fact that Jack is still at the club. But I can see him getting maybe a year extension. We'll have to see um, what happens. With Matthias Sarkic, unfortunately, as, as good as a talent as he looks and as nice of a bloke as he seems, I don't see him getting a contract extension just because of the plethora of goalkeeping talent we have at the club. You know, we have, what, if you include Sarkic, I think we have five senior goalkeepers. Um, and then... A number of uh, under twenty threes and under under eighteens that 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 could you know potentially move up and step up in in the time that you know a contract extension for Sarkic you know, might be two three years. We could see the likes of um, I can't remember his name, but he's Finnish Finnish youth international. I think it's like Suiomi or something like that. Um, you know, we could see him move up through the ranks. Um, I think we've got a, a young New Zealand uh, in uh, youth international goalkeeper as well. You know, there, there's so many goalkeepers at the club at all levels that I don't think Sarkic will will get an extension. Um, you also wrote this this past week about the comments of Conor Hurahane and his praise of Jack Grealish, and social media kind of blew up over Hurahane uh, claiming that that Grealish. Uh, is the best player at Villa and has the skills to move on if he really wanted to. You know, there was a lot of outrage towards towards uh, Connor after his comments. And uh, do, do you think you know he was out of order with his comments? Do you think that the time for Grealish to move on is coming sooner rather than later, or do you do you feel like perhaps you know people took um, Connor's comments, you know, the, the wrong way, maybe? I think they took it the wrong way. Listen, I mean, Conor Jorge trains with Jack Grealish, and he's been around him. He knows what he's like as a person. He knows what he's like as a player. And, you know, to be honest, some of Conor Jorge and Jack Grealish's best moments that we've seen have been when they're on the pitch together. So they have a bit of chemistry there, and they seem like they really like each other's people. So, I mean, this is going to come off as aggressive, but what did, what did you expect? Did you expect Conor Jorge to come out and say, no, Jack Grealish isn't a good player, and no, he doesn't, he doesn't deserve a move? I mean, get real. Honestly, like I, I just I don't understand it. I mean, and then you have the people that saying, "Oh, well, I didn't know Conor Horahan was Jack Grealish's agent. He's not being his agent. He's he's piling on praise of a talisman that we've seen over the past few seasons now that it kept this team, you know, going, that kept this club going in the right direction. I think it's only justified that Conor heaps praise upon Jack. And yeah, he. I mean, the reality of the situation is Jack Grealish is better than being at a club that's nineteenth in the Premier League. I don't like it. You don't like it. None of us do. But that's the facts. That's reality. You know, sometimes you have to take the Aston Villa cap off and you have to realize what you actually have and what you don't have. You know, Aston Villa having Jack Grealish is a massive, massive deal to Aston Villa. But that doesn't mean that he's going to be here forever. It's not going to mean he doesn't have aspirations. You don't think he doesn't want to play in the Champions League? He's a footballer. And, and football, we all know football and careers go by very, very quickly. They're not, they're not a long haul kind of thing. So, of course, Jack has a decision to make. And, of course, his head might get turned elsewhere. I, again, I don't like saying it. I don't like thinking it. I want Jack Grealish nailed down to a lifetime contract as soon as you can get it over the line if such a thing would exist. But, I mean, I don't know. How, how did you take it? I thought it was a, a, absolute BS that people 
people were up in arms about this. I really did. Mark Giroux be spitting straight facts on the Gathering in the Lamp podcast. I, I completely agree. It fired me up, man. It really did. I just I just didn't understand the, the backlash and how how people took it. I just how, how do you how do you get to the point of being upset about the fact that your best player is probably better than nineteenth in, in, in the Premier League? That it boggles my mind. But you know, for for, for so long for for fans that has been the case. You know, Benteke. Delph, even though you know a lot of fans don't really care much for Delph anymore. Um, Barry Milner, etc., etc. A bit different for Barry, um, but you, you know we've always been that club that's that's gone and rolled over, had our bellies tickled, and gone. Okay, you can, you can go to Liverpool, you can go to Man City, you can go to Manchester United. You know, Ashley Young's another one. So people are fed up of seeing that, but you know it, the player has all the power, if if you know what I mean. Yeah, you're completely right. He does have all the power, and again, man, I don't want to see Jack Grealish in another club shirt. Are you kidding me? It's going to make me sick if and when I see it. I think it's coming a lot quicker than people think it is, but I don't want to see that, man. I love Jack. Jack's given me some of my happiest moments of of being a sports supporter, not even a football supporter or any of the other you know silly sports that I watch. Just merely on a football sport, some of my happiest moments, you know, to see him get punched and then you know come back and score the winning goal of a game. That's fairy tale stuff, man. I'm going to think about that until the until the day I die. Honestly, I really, really am. I don't want to see him go, but you have to you have to have an air of being realistic in this situation. You have to understand where Connor was coming from, and I don't think he was out of order whatsoever. If anything, I, I think he was right on the button. Yeah, I completely agree with you. Um, if and then, if and when the Premier League returns, Villa will have a pretty difficult run of games uh, in the ten contests that remain. Villa will come up against teams such as Liverpool, Chelsea. Arsenal, Manchester United, you know, that's not never fun to talk about or think about, but we do need to talk about the reality that Villa will need to pull off somewhat of a great escape to survive in the Premier League. It's not to say it's impossible, but it is incredibly unlikely when you think about the form that Villa have been in. You know, the, the potential restart could completely change the entire course of Villa's season. We could go on a 10, 10 win unbeaten streak again. You know, no one knows what's going to happen, but it, it, it is going to be a, a huge long shot. Do you think that Villa have a legitimate shot of staying up? And you know, if in the event that we do go back down to the Championship, do you still think that uh, Wes Edens and Nasef Savuris are still going to invest as heavily in the club, in the hope that we'll come straight back up? Uh, and you know, as well as that, which players could you see leaving if we were relegated? That's a lot to break down, but I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna start from the start of uh, legitimate chances of Villa staying up. Listen, man, I'm I'm kind of the old world mentality to where I, I still believe that the teams that I support still have a shot until that, that little X is next to their name as far as, you know, going down and it's it's mathematically, you know, cemented in that you're going down. Um, it's going to be very difficult for Villa to escape this. Um, and they have no one to blame but themselves. It's it's it sucks to hear, but it's the truth. Um, I'll always believe as long as there's games remaining, as long as it's mathematically, you know, able to to you know, avoid the drop. I, I think that you have to support the team and believe, but it's very, very difficult. These are on the games and, you know, not even the teams that you just said, such as Liverpool, Chelsea, Arsenal, and Manchester United. Wolves are in there. Everton's a tough game. They're in there. So I, I think, you know, and you have West Ham at the, at the last game of the season, whenever the season may take place. Um, if, if you don't think West Ham wants to kick this thing off already and just, you know, do a lot better than what they showed over the course of the season, you're sleeping. Um, I, I think that team's going to turn some heads when they come back. But, um, you know, as far as Villa, 
you always got a shot as, as long as the games are in Maiden. Um, in the event that Villa goes back down to the championship, do I think Eden or Sororis are going to invest uh, heavily in the club? I think they will, but only as much as FFP will allow them to. Um, we all know that we get parachute payments going back down. or No, because we we got promoted, so you don't you don't get as much, I believe, in the parachute payments. Um, I, I think they're going to stick around. Uh, there, there was a little mumblings on Twitter this past week about you know them you know hurrying up and selling the club off. We go back down due to the current pandemic and how their industries and businesses that they own might be affected. But I don't think that's the case. This doesn't cost them as much as people think it does in terms of both these men's men's wealth. I, th- I think that um, we had a report come out that Villa are now the sixth richest club as far as. Uh, as far as money they have coming in and what their owners actually have as far as net worth. So um, you don't you don't get that. You don't have that kind of bankroll and then all of a sudden decide to jump ship. So I, I think they'll stick around and they'll invest as much as they can. Um, what, what do you think about those two questions? Do you think that uh, Villa have a shot of staying up and you think uh, Eden and Sorari's are going to keep going here? I'm, I'm very much in, in the same boat as you in regards to staying up. You know, I'll believe until... until believing's the stupid thing to do you know i i believed when we went down in in uh 2015 2015-16 um that we had a chance until until it was mathematically impossible um in the event that we we do get relegated i think edens and and Suiris will stick around and i think they'll they'll continue to invest as much as as much as they can um and i think you know i think perslo is an incredible um person to have at the club especially in regards to you know uh, working around uh financial fair play and and things like that if we were to go down so i hope he would stick around i think i think the the one person that you would see um out of the door um as soon as we were relegated would be suso um and in terms of players you know i i'd probably say that jack jack is gone should we go down? Um, I would probably say that Man City will probably pick up Douglas Louise. Um, maybe Mings will will go and maybe McGinn, but I think the rest of the players will probably end up sticking around. Um, but you know that, that those kind of players leaving, some may not leave, but those kind of players leaving give us a lot more room to manoeuvre in the, in in the Championship market. Should we go down? Yeah, and that's that's the big thing, and I I, I agree with you wholeheartedly about you know it's it's such a shitty thing to talk about but yeah in the event that we go down you know there are going to be the big time players that we've relied on and we've looked at as being you know these really really talented players they're, they're all at the door you know I, I think you're right I think Jack Grealish goes I think that Douglas Louise would go back to City um, you know I can see I can see him again staying I don't know why I can just see him sticking it out. I'm seeing like, nah, you know, Jack's gone. I'm gonna stick around and see if I can get this club back in the Premier League. Um, see, since um, since like McGinn got injured, I've I've said that I don't think he leaves, uh, regardless of, of of next season because, you know, no no one's gonna want to buy a player that's been out for half a season. If right. you know what I mean. Well, yeah, yeah. He's he's been out for half a season. Not to mention, I just think that he has that kind of fighting spirit that where he's like, All right, you know, we we cocked this thing up and we got we gotta get it we gotta get it back to, you know, on steadier footing. But, you know, with with the players like Mings and like Grealish and like Douglas Louise out of the door, that brings in a lot of money. And don't think Aston Villa are gonna be, you know, held at, at gunpoint here to, to sell these players lower than value. It it, it doesn't matter to them. Um you know, that that's one thing that the ownership has said. They're not gonna sell players just for the fact of selling them. 
you know, it's not like they they necessarily need the money. Um, champ, getting down to the championship with the FFP is in a different story. But like you said, Perslow, I believe, was was uh, um you know a pretty decent part of the fact of getting FFP even over the line as, as a thing that you know English football has to adhere to. So I, I think that it definitely it definitely makes sense some players are going to go you're not going to keep this exact same team but i mean you got to think about you know marvelous nakamba did he do enough to maybe get a move get eyes on him from elsewhere did he do enough this season did Ingles do enough this season you know is someone going to come in for algazi there's there's a million and a half questions that that, that come from asking these three questions in general but again that hopefully we, d- we don't even have to worry about it after these 10 games are over with well did you see um Freddie Gilbert did a did a bit of a Q&A on his Instagram and someone asked him what if, he'd, if he'd stay if he went down and he said well I joined this club to be in the championship so and I, I you know I don't care about money so why would I leave yeah I love that and I think I think again it takes it takes a certain personality to want to do that and I think Freddie Gilbert has shown that and listen he's not the most you know prolific right back you're going to see in, in the in the Premier League and but I, I think for the skills that he has, he's got for me, he's gotten better every season. And sometimes he goes out there and has stinker games. And other times he comes back and he's putting the hard tackles in. The man loves a slide tackle. He's not afraid to play on a yellow card. He's not afraid to bomb forward on the overlap or even the underlap whenever you know someone gets forward or, or cuts inside. I love that about fullback. That's a modern day fullback, and, and Villa have struggled with those. I mean, you know, you got to figure there, there was a time not too long ago when where Neil Taylor and Alan Hutton were our identifiable left and right backs. They're not the most athletic people you've ever seen. It's no disrespect to either. I, I like them both for different reasons. But you know, you're not thinking about players that, that are that are modern day fullbacks, and then you're going to lump Neil Taylor and Alan Hutton into it. So so now you know with with a fullback like Freddie. Bear, I, I think that that's great that he wants to stay, and I think that signals that Villa's kind of getting on board with uh, the direction in which football is moving in England. Yeah, absolutely, and I think that's probably the best uh, place to end this week's podcast. Obviously, we've ended on a, a bit of a, a heavy note, a bit of a heavy discussion, but you know, at the same time, I think it, it's it's very necessary discussion. Uh, if you have enjoyed the podcast, feel free to follow myself on Twitter at FindFoy. You can follow Mark on Twitter at VillaMarkPGH. And you can follow Under a Gaslit Lamp on Twitter uh, at VillaLamp. And you can also keep tabs on our Facebook, uh, which is forward slash Under a Gaslit Lamp. And on our Instagram, which is at Under a Gaslit Lamp. If you have enjoyed it, please uh, do feel free to give us a review or a comment on on social media or on you know whatever platform you're listening on and as always guys thank you ever so much for listening and up the villa